Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Carson Tuller, an LGBTQ plus and disability advocate, policy advisor, and professional speaker, where I ask, what is ableism? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Vaness. I'm so excited to be joined by our guest this week. Um, you are someone who I've followed on Instagram for a very long time. Absolutely stunning. Absolute. I mean, Carson Tuller is who you are, is your name. Um, but you there's you have many commas. You are gorgeous. You are an advocate. You're an activist. You are really just someone who I'm so excited to meet. Thank you. I'm so excited to meet you too. But so our question this week is, because every episode of Getting Curious is a question. Question is, of the day, what is ableism? Mm. It's a question we've heard. Mm. Uh, It's a term I've seen. I guess I, like, literally, I don't know what what it, like, if I looked up in the dictionary, ableism is. Yeah. So, Or how you've experienced it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I define ableism as valuing able bodies over disabled bodies or non-disabled bodies over able bodies, if you want to say it that way. So it's valuing them. It's um, discrimination against people with disabilities. It can look like a lot of different things, but essentially it's prioritizing and valuing kind of your stereotypical able body over other bodies that don't function in the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and it's that radiates though into so many different facets of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like accessibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yeah, how we think about like planning how to do anything in anyone's life. Yeah, like any structural things, we're gonna have conversations about accessibility. Um, that all is inside of ableism, right? In terms of like, are we also making sure that people with disabilities have equal access? But then. Ableism also seeps into other areas of life that we don't often think about, like the fashion industry. Do we have like clothing and fashion um, for people who have different bodies or um, clothing that's accessible for people who, you know, can't do buttons or who need, um, yeah, just kind of different kinds of access. So um, even talking about, you know, the film industry and representation. So it um, ends up showing up in a lot of different places. So what is, I mean, how can people that are like, I guess I just, so obviously like I'm someone who like, am, I'm like, so like, I don't even, do, do, uh, do people often get nervous on like how to say anything or like how to say things? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, of course. Of course, because people want to see, like, do I say handicapped? Do I say um, differently able? Do I say disabled? Or, you know, lots of questions. Yeah, because there's so many, like, you know, Buddha says there's so many paths to the top of the mountain. So, like, (laughs) is there several acceptable ways? Like, what's your experience with that? Are you, like, what do you like? Okay, so for the most part, the question generally is are we going to use identity first language, which would be I'm disabled? Or if someone is autistic, they say, I'm autistic, right? That's identity first or person first. I'm a person with a disability or I'm a person with autism, right? I know that the autistic community prefers identity first language. Some people 
will say, you know, I like to identify myself as a human first and then, you know, that I have a disability. Um, yeah, so there's kind of, it's, it's kind of split. It tends to be leaning more towards um, identity first and really just taking the stigma out of saying I'm disabled. Right. Yeah. So it's like basically, because it's like, I, I feel like, it's like, yeah, because like, it's so basically like identity first is like saying like, I'm Carson. Like, because it's like, that is your fucking Carson. <laughs> right. Or like if I were to do a parallel with sexuality, it would be like, I have same gender attraction versus I'm gay. Right. right. Or I'm a person with same gender attraction as opposed to I'm just oh, gay. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. 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 So I'm a person with, well, I guess I don't really know. Well, I just like, yeah, I do. I have male attraction. I'm a person with male attraction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I don't really feel like I'm a man with male attraction. Mm-hmm. Much non-binary person with yeah. male attraction. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of um, kind of terms that are considered appropriate, accessible is a great term rather than kind of like handicap accessible. A lot of people are just saying accessible. Yeah. Um, handicap is not used terribly commonly in my own experience. I know a lot of people don't love that term. Um, So disabled is the working term. Yeah, disabled tends to be kind of like the catch-all appropriate way to talk about disability. Um, Some I know some progressive people inside of like physical disabilities are also reclaiming the term CRIP. So like the CRIP community, CRIP the vote, you know, that kind of like movement um, is also kind of being reclaimed maybe in the same way that like queer is or was. So your your story with disability is one that I think is, you know, very incredible. And how, because I mean, some people are, well, what is your story? Is what I should ask. Yeah. So I, was, I know what I know, but that's because like I've been following you for a long time. So it's like for, <laughs> but for people that maybe this is their first time, you know, meeting you or interacting yeah. with you. Yeah, totally. So I was born without any disability. And then at 23 years old, I was a freshman in college and... It was five days after Christmas. It's a beautiful day outside. Went with my family to a trampoline park. I had done tumbling my whole life, which I know we connect on. A love for gymnastics. And I had, it was just, I was 6'5". I mean, I am 6'5", but, you know, I got too tall to pull some really cool stuff. And so I could always do more at trampoline parks. And so I loved going with my family. Went there, tumbled into a foam pit and broke my neck. So, um... I injured my spinal cord at C8, which is right at the level of my hands. So I'm kind of between a paraplegic and a quadriplegic um, with some impaired hand function. Um, Yeah, so I have a complete spinal cord injury, which means that it's like completely paralyzed. Some people have partial paralysis, um, and I'm pretty completely paralyzed. So it's been six years. So I've been doing the paralyzed, disabled, using a wheelchair thing for six years now. Which is not a lot of time. <laughs> you know, I'm still learning a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you've lived on... It's really around the... Uh, like, I mean, not drawing comparisons because it's... But just for time in my mind, it's like... That's around the time when I found out that I was HIV positive. Mm. So it's like a different... It's like like two-thirds of my life. Like I was, you know, living one way. And then like this last like seven years, it's been like a different way. Totally. So is it something, I mean, how, so how are you? Hmm. I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm really happy. I'm really happy. And I can tell when people see what I post on Instagram or see what I write, 
have kind of an expectation that my life is hard or that it sucks or that it's something that's not my that it's that's not, not my takeaway oh good okay. not that it sucks i mean that it's definitely that it's hard and like on those but, but i mean you're so eloquent and beautifully spoken with your words and mm. i think you've only just opened my eyes more oh thank you thank you yeah i i i love my life i love my life i think the first if you would have met me the first two years of after my spinal cord injury you would have mm, it's not that I was a different person. I had a very different relationship to my body and a, a very different relationship to my worth as a human being. That was the biggest difference. Um, I believed that I was like inherently irreparably broken after my spinal cord injury. And it took me a while to realize that that's what I believed. But I believed something was wrong with me um, and that I was just going to live out the rest of my days kind of just as this broken tragedy doing my best. Um, so you, were you living in Utah? Yeah. Yep. So you were living there and you, and you, like it's January that happens. And it was about, was there a particular like light bulb moment or was it just like kind of a series of like coming to terms? Like, did you do therapy? Like, like, like emotional therapy? Like what was your approach? Cause also it was like the same year as you came out to your family. So it's like so much flux Mm -hmm. so much change yeah my whole identity changed yeah um because growing up gay in utah is like (laughs) a whole thing in and of itself yeah yeah and i grew up mormon right and so um i grew up in like that mormon context and my family is always very loving and supportive um but we had a lot to work through and i had a lot to figure out in terms of my identity and how it worked with my faith right um but yeah, I think over time, it's like I started, I mean, I remember being in my hospital room just like several days after I was paralyzed and and had my phone out in front of me and there were just three words on my phone and it was paralyzed, paralyzed, paralyzed in the notes section because it was like that first moment that I realized like, oh my gosh, I don't know who I am because I was like this tall guy who ran everywhere he went, who was a swimmer, who was like studying music performance and none of that could be true anymore. And I just didn't know who I was and therefore, I thought, didn't know what my value or my worth was in the world. And it was like this existential crisis. Um, And I wondered if I wanted to go throughout life feeling worthless. And little by little, I pushed back against that. You know, it's just like, it didn't make sense to me because I would kind of like do this logical thing where I was like, look... I'm just sitting now. Why do I feel like this? You know, my spinal cord works differently. Got it. But why should my worth have such a shift? And I started like looking at social narratives and my own narratives and really discovered that um, I could reclaim my worth in a serious way. Um, And I had, I had a, there was a pivotal moment on June 16th of 2018 when I was sitting next to my sister and in the car we're in front of my parents' house. She's 13 years old. And we had gone on like this little like brother-sister date. And I had referred to the day of my accident as the day of my death. Kind of like with some dark humor. And she turned to me and she said, what if we called it the day of your rebirth? And I thought it was cute. I mean, it was just like 
you know, my innocent 13-year-old sister being, like, optimistic, I thought. Like, really trying to rebrand this joke. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, gave her a kiss on the cheek, and I, you know, sent her inside, and I went off to the gym. But that started, like, this cascade of discoveries over the next three hours where I realized that I could reframe everything I thought about myself, my injury, and my worth. Like, because I couldn't justify how I was right and she was wrong. Why Why was it the day of my death? Why couldn't it be the day that my life started? Why can't... It, it's true if I say it's true. There's yeah. no one who can say whether or not either of those are true, right? Yeah. And um, I remember looking in the mirror at the gym and for the first time in like four years seeing my whole body again. It's like, I'm still here. This is like, my body's perfect. And everything changed after that. And I realized like we can claim our worth we can change what we say about value in human beings and that was like the impetus of all of my activism and advocacy that was a long story but there you go not at all (laughs) i was riveted it was a beautiful story so was this i mean because it's just was this ever something that you ever like what is your relationship to disability how has it changed from being like pre-accident and post-accident I think, gosh, I don't have... Disability was so far out of my mind before my injury. It's like, it was nowhere down the line, right? I mean, I remember just, it was like two months before my injury, I was walking into the gym and there was a guy on crutches that I now realize must have had some partial paralysis. And he was just like struggling to get in the gym. And I thought like, oh my gosh, that looks... So difficult. I'm so lucky. I don't have to deal with anything like that. And so my my kind of relationship to it was like, it's a burden. It's a trial. It's something terrible and difficult and something I would never want to experience. Yeah. Yeah. And then that happened to you and, and, now, and now. Yeah. And so now I realize like there's certainly an ease to having a body that functions completely. Um but my body is just different. It's not worse. It's not better. My body works the way it does and doesn't. And I work really hard not to place any value on that because that's where I get into trouble in terms of how I experience myself and my worth in the world. So I need a wheelchair to get around. And it's certainly inconvenient, especially in a world that doesn't create space for me sometimes. But um, yeah, now I work really hard to just look at disability and disabled bodies as being on a spectrum. There's a spectrum of bodies that work a particular way and don't work a particular way, just like there's a spectrum of color or gender or sexuality. So does it, do you, like, what pisses you off, like, when people (laughs) do something, like, what's, like, the thing that, like, I should never do? You know what I'm saying? Like, what fucking piss, it's like, don't fucking look at me like that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. Unless you're cruising me in the gym. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, But you're like, don't even do that. I have a boyfriend. Leave me alone. (laughs) Right. Okay. I I think, ask. I don't love when people ask me just like out of the blue before they ask my name, before they ask anything about me, like, dude, what happened to you? Like, mostly it's, it's it's just annoying at this point. I'm not terribly offended, but I'm like, I didn't come here to talk about how I broke my neck six years ago any more than you came here to talk about 
whatever trauma you experienced six years ago or 10 years ago, right? Like, if, if like, I let's can... talk about the thing that was like a really pivotally like difficult thing for you to yeah. like, like it's, on a rant, like I'm just at the bar, like having a drink or totally. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like not relevant. I'm like living my life, doing my thing, lifting at the gym or like you said, having a drink at a bar or something. And um, I'd rather talk about like my shirt. Yeah, or, or like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Any any other thing, right? Did I not take a break? Oh yeah, that's okay, got it. I was so <laughs> engrossed in everything that you're saying that I like forgot to take a break. She like told me to take a break forever ago. Okay, do you actually do you need a break or anything? Oh yeah, I still have to take one. We're gonna be right back with more Carson Toller after the break. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Venice. We have Carson Tiller right across uh, this gorgeous table for me. So yeah, it's like random, like unsolicited like questions about like why you're in a wheelchair, like not fierce. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. 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 Um, what about like your, ex- I mean, cause you're very much active and involved in the, in the, dis- do I say disabled community? Yeah. Disabled yeah. community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. 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 Sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but you're very involved as an advocate and activist. You're very visible. And, I, and when you were saying like, you know, in a world that doesn't create space, I think that, your visibility mm-hmm. is creating space. Mm-hmm. And and I sometimes think that's an interesting internal conversation of like, who is the onus on? Like, w- everyone should be making space for everyone. Like, that onus should be on everyone. It shouldn't be on the people who are different to have to make space. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it is that trailblazer and is that person who can start to make space. And that is an important, you know, um, trajectory for a person to do so i you know thank you for for doing that mm-hmm. um but f- for being someone who is active in the disabled community and, and being an activist what what is kind of some of the stuff that's going on in the disabled like, is that like well it's like yeah tell me about everything. that that seems like a patronizing thing now that i'm asking but i've got to ask about it no like please, what's going yeah. like what's going on like and like what like what are some of the important like is there like is there any like issues going on within the disabled community like you should be for bernie or you should be for like this person or is there like or is there like like what's the tea what's going on yeah so oh man right now there are so many things right so the thing about the disabled community is that it encompasses like intellectual disabilities physical disabilities developmental disabilities um right and so it's like we're talking about a huge number of issues and things. Everything from like having more inclusive classrooms for kids with developmental disabilities, right? So that they can like learn alongside peers without disabilities to making sure that the subway system in New York City is accessible. P.S. You know, it's not. Um, So right now, I mean, there's so basically I'm saying there are a billion issues each inside of um, you know, different kinds of disabilities and things. But um, certainly st- part of step one would just be to enforce the laws that we currently have with the Americans with Disabilities Act. There's just a l- really low level of accountability in terms of how that those laws are enforced. Um, and, you know, they're being threatened to be weakened by the current administration. And, I mean, for example... I was on the bus. No, I was on the ferry. No, rewind. (laughs) I can't take the subway system here in New York City. I work in Times Square. So for everyone else, they jump on the subway, get there in like, you know, whatever they get there, 30 minutes or something. I've got to push myself to a ferry. I get on the ferry. I wheel a couple blocks to a bus stop. I get on a bus. 
and then I have to, you know, get off and wheel to, to my office. It's like three times longer commute because the subway is not accessible. So I'm with my dog. I have a service animal who like retrieves things for me and can pick things up off the ground and carry things for me. And we get to the bus stop and the bus driver opens the door and asks if I have any kind of identification for my dog. And I explain that per the ADA, there is no requirement federally that I have to have any identification. He said he was required by like per his training to request that and that he couldn't let me on with my dog if I didn't have that, which is just literally not legal. Yeah. But he doesn't know that he's receiving some different training. I know that because I have to know that. And he closed the doors and left me like sitting on the sidewalk with my dog. And this is just like an illustration of how there's not a consistency of accountability for enforcing the ADA so that people actually have the protections they need to get from point A to point B or to be able to be with their service animal in a public space, stuff like that. So you, so just to back up a little teensy weensy mm-hmm, bit, because mm-hmm. I started following you when you, I think you still lived in, uh, where did you live? Utah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So you lived in Utah and then you recently moved to the city mm-hmm. in like the last like six months. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, I don't know if you've ever read like Eat, Pray, Love or her Elizabeth Gilbert's second book, was which was A Skeptic Makes Peace with Marriage. But in that book, she talks about how like the five most stressful like events in a person's life and one of them is moving. Mm. And so you're in a new relation-ish yeah. Yeah. and you move. Mm-hmm. So that's like a lot going on. So like, yeah. what has it been like navigating New York City as someone who is in a wheelchair? Oh my gosh. It was, it was so hard. I mean, this was like the first time that me and my boyfriend were living together first. Okay, and like he knew, of course, <laughs> that I was in a wheel- that I used a wheelchair. <laughs> that was not a surprise. But like knowing what life is like for me, we had only spent weekends together or a few weeks together on trips and things. So f- there was just so much we were dealing with and that he was dealing with. <sighs> um, but then like just navigating New York City. It was a nightmare because in Utah, I have a vehicle and I can just like hop in my car because it has a ramp. I like get into my cute little van with a ramp and just like go wherever I need to go. Yeah. And here it's not like that. Um, and I was, it just brought up so much grief again. I felt like 10 times more paralyzed here than I felt in Utah. And I... I mean, I just remember a few times where I just like broke down on the couch and just like bawled for hours just because I was so mad that I had to deal with it. And also, you know, couldn't help but compare how much easier it would be if I could just get on the subway, you know, or just walk to this or that place. Isn't it illegal for the subway to not be accessible? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, per my understanding or to my understanding, it's um, there have been a lot of like lawsuits that have been filed against New York City. Um, so I, I believe they have a plan, something like a 10-year plan to get the subway stations um, accessible. But 10 years is... A long time. A long time. And I have things to do. Well, and not only that, I mean, and, and like, and yes, and like sometimes I feel like we have to joke about things because it like makes you fucking cry if you like couldn't make a joke <laughs> about it. But it's like mm-hmm. that like creates like so much like economic and just like life stagnation for like disabled people if you can't yes. get to where you need to go and it's like yes. that's opportunity lost it's like it's it's so much like it's it's expensive to not have those opportunities yeah that, okay this is so good and and also because people with disabilities are treated like a cost to the system so often you know like 
one in five Americans has a disability. And a lot of individuals want to work. People who have disabilities, they want to work, they want to contribute to the system. I mean, if, if my disability has absolutely made me more competent and smarter and more like a better problem solver. So like we, I know that we've got gifts and skills that would really be a huge benefit to um, our communities, to our country. And we're just creating like traps in terms of like, we can't, we don't let people get into the workforce because of something like transportation. But then if people need long-term supports and services um, or like, you know, long-term health care, um, you know, we've got like the what's happening with welfare and social security. So people are stuck and people can't get out of like these poverty traps or these like transportation issues. And so they just can't contribute. Um, I have a lot of privilege, like a lot of privilege because I have some financial stability that allows me to get something like an Uber if, you know, I get left by a bus. And that's not available to a lot of people, right? And especially because people with disabilities are more likely to experience homelessness and poverty and other healthcare issues. And so people don't just have 50 bucks to drop on an Uber to get home, right? And it's like, I mean, it's costly for me. I certainly have had to budget to be able to like, you know, uh, accommodate that. But I don't know what other people do. I also have the strength to actually push myself places. And it's so tough. So people who don't have the same privilege or financial stability I have, I just don't know how people survive. What resources are there for people that have disability and can't get the resources that they need? Is there any? Yeah, I mean, so right now we've got like, are you so are you talking about like government things? Well, just yeah, like, just because like I mean, I'm, I'm with the work that you do. I'm guessing that you've like met like a lot of different people within the disabled community who have mm-hmm. to like get it get what they need somehow and you're saying like the skills that you've like garnered like being a better problem solver and being like that i like what are other people doing or not doing like what are kind of the some other issues that other people are facing that you've encountered so i mean i know that there are other nonprofits that do work that will for example if you have an apartment that's not accessible they'll do renovations or modifications for you and you can get on a list to receive something like that um and I know of other small services that help people with accessibility or rides and things like that. But um, for the most part, it's such a large issue. Um, people are really, you know, you rely on government assistance for a while if if that's like your only option, right? Um, and then, I mean, I I don't like I don't know exactly what people do to kind of make it. Yeah. So again, because it really is just something I think that like people don't talk about yeah yeah and there's a lot of like shame around having to be uh, dependent or being trapped inside of like such a low income or something or you know so for you it sounds like you know re reclaiming and rediscovering your value and that your Mm -hmm. value was not um intertwined with you know, what your body does yeah. is so valuable and important. I think that so many people disabled or not have that issue, like not understanding their value. Mm-hmm. And so can you speak to like any more of like the, in that process? And, and obviously that you're, you, you told us the story with your sister, which is so cute with that light bulb, you know, discovering those three mm-hmm. hours. But I always feel like, you know, like, 
uh, value and self love is not like ever a light bulb moment. It's kind of something we have to like practice like totally. all the time, yeah. which is like yeah. so lame because I really wish that we could just like <laughs> turn that on and then just be done with it, you know? Would that be nice? Yeah, like we just have to deal with it anymore. But what are some of like the tools that you use day in and day out to help you retain that connection to your value and your self worth? Yeah, for me, I find I find the power to challenge my self worth by always remembering that it's all made up in the first place like gold is valuable because human beings decided that it was valuable it's not much different than a lot of other metals right but it's like got this color and you know has a rarity to it and so we've decided it has a certain value and that value has changed over time um humans are the source of creating value and because of that I always know that worth and worthlessness are just like arbitrary. And so it, none of it's true. And I know that if I'm suffering because of a lack of worth, it's inside of some story or narrative. Like, um, oh gosh, I, I, I rolled past the mirror in the gym recently and saw kind of like my legs and, and my body a certain way that had me kind of hearing a lot of negative thoughts about my body and just like, ugh, I, I don't like the way I look or I don't, why I'm still in this wheel, whatever it was, right? And that like thought kind of just like started this um, cycle of, yeah, more negative thinking and, and emotions around like my body. And so it, it was just a moment for me to be like, okay, what's at the root of that? Okay, yeah, it's probably me still feeling like I need to look a certain way in order to feel a certain way. And like, where did that come from? Okay, it probably came from the media or seeing some other like really chiseled hot guy that I'm jealous of or, you know, and like comparing, but like going back to those roots of, oh, this is all made up. Right. Like, I get to say that my body's just perfect the way it is and that my cute little skinny legs with swollen ankles are just darling. They are. <laughs> so, um, did you ever see the series Push Girls? No. Okay. It was this incredible series on IFC, and it was about these four women in Los Angeles that um, were living with diff- on you know all in wheelchairs, but on different spectrums of ability. And there was mm. this one girl who was talking about how she had been in this like really in- bad car accident on the four hundred five, and that's where she had her spinal cord injury, and mm. that's where it and that's like where she incurred her injury and then she ended up doing this like stem cell thing and like in like brazil or port some other country like, mm-hmm. where it wasn't legal in america at the time and it caused it it enabled her to get some movement in her arms mm-hmm. back and yeah. um but she was saying how like within her friend group it it there was a big controversy over like you know, if she should try to regain movement yeah. or try to do treatment. And the the side of the disabled community that said, like, well, you really shouldn't. It's like, you know, we should be celebrating our bodies where they are and, like, not trying to fix them because they're perfect where they are. And, and there was just, like, this kind of pull there. And so I guess, like, where – I guess the question is, like, where do you fall on that spectrum? Like, mm, do you – Such a good question, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I have that question all the time because – there was such a facility to being able to like walk up steps, right? Or run or, I mean, there are a lot of, so I don't have sensation like for my chest down either. And that comes with a lot of complications. I personally, and I'm sure I'll get push pushback from some people about this, but I personally don't think that I have to 
be fixing myself and how do I say this? Let me rewind. Like to desire greater function, I don't think is inherently ableist. I think to desire or seek greater function doesn't mean that I, that that function is like more valuable. It just means it's more functional for whatever task, right? It's no different than like I, I go to the gym to be strong so I can transfer my body from my uh, wheelchair onto the couch or something because it's useful. I need to get off my butt. And if I could get sensation back, I would because it provides so much information. It allows my body to know if I'm in pain or if I have a cut or if, you know, there's there's some utility to it. And I don't think it's inherently ableist to pursue those things. I do think it's a problem, though, if our like medical system has the context of fixing disabled people. So I think it should always be the 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 choice of a person with a disability and that like their choices should be respected. And we shouldn't assume that people with disabilities want to look different or be different, right? People are very comfortable in their disabled bodies. Yeah. I think part of like I would like why it's such a conversation is because it's like we know that acceptance is so much of a key to happiness and your ability to like love yourself and to mm. you know th- bloom or planted so to speak and so it's like if you're it's almost like if you're you know asking someone to not be in a place of acceptance but i think i kind of see what you're saying it's like well i can be in a place of acceptance and still want more function mm-hmm. and that doesn't have to be because ne- the is that ableist didn't even come into my head but i guess that is ableist because you're basically saying like if you had more function like it would that but it's it's not about value it's about just like your ability to like navigate things easier yeah 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 exactly and i think it's a complex conversation and i'm sure there are a lot of valid points you know um it does kind of lead me to vote i just i'm not going to cut you off right there no no (laughs) go ahead no well it just was like kind of like leading me to like voting because it like it makes me feel like you know, under the Trump administration, we know, like, after he won, he, like, you know, he made, like, the broadest the broadest gag rule ever, like, as far as, like, you know, not giving any money to, like, any uh, foreign charities that do any sort of family planning or mm, contraception right. or, you know, um, and, and like, you know, directing the CDC to, like, not use those seven words and, like, trans and uh, evidence-based right. and science-based and, like, these, like, seven, you know, terms. So it's, like... Um, I would imagine that this administration has been particularly like not helpful for the disabled community at large. Yeah, it it hasn't been. I know that there have been some, and I'm not an expert on this particular topic, but I know that um, part of the accountability of the ADA has been weakened or there's been a push to weaken it under the Trump administration. Um, The details of that, I couldn't tell you but well one other thing that i was thinking about just like in the timeline of it all is that like you know you already were like being a gay man brought up in the mormon church is difficult and Mm -hmm. like that is a marginalized like those are two because i think being mormon is its own minority and then being gay is its own minority yeah and then coming to terms and and then being disabled as its own minority, although probably much more uh, 
common than yeah. people are made to think. Yes, yes. Um, but it's like 2013, that was like Obama's second administration coming into the age of Trump. And it's like, you know, people's voting and like societal, um, you know, decisions that get made, it seems like they would affect someone who is in a, a disabled person more. Because, yeah. like, those votes and, like, those decisions that get made would make it the less um, the less ability that you have to, like, navigate the world, it's going to affect you more, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, policy and, and having um, an economy and leaders who allocate funding or invest in the lives of, like, all people, including people with disabilities, is... Um, I mean, it's what we should be looking for if we care about lifting this, the, the place of people with disabilities. Um, we're going to be right back with more Carson Tuller after the break. Hey. Welcome back to Game Curious. It's Jonathan Van Ness. We have Carson Tuller. Yeah. Why do I keep wanting to say Tuller? What do I keep saying instead? Because uh, I think we just like Tuller? talk about it. Tuller? Tuller. Tuller, yeah. yeah. It's like a soft, it's like that soft E. It's like... Um, uh, Tuesday. I, uh, the ah, Tuesday. that's what I, yeah, yeah. Carson Tuller. <laughs> I nailed it that time, right? Yeah. Nailed it, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Okay, so wait, what were you going to say? Okay, so what I was going to say is, I, I like to tell people, like, investing in a world that's accessible is really good for all human beings, right? Like, being a human being means you've got a body. Having a body means you're going to experience um, the... Like your bodies fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that, right? Bodies fall apart. They get old, they get weak, they get injured. And um, investing in accessibility is good for everyone. You don't know when you're going to get a knee injury. And when you're 70 years old, you're still going to want to get on that subway and go somewhere and not walk down seven flights of stairs. You know, it's really just an investment into humanity, is how we frame it for a lot of people. Yeah. It's so important. For like and and it's also just something that like is very much underdone. I mean, do you notice a difference in in traveling now, like in places that are like more accessible and less accessible? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been to Europe a few times. I've been to Brazil. I've been to Mexico. I think that the place that was most accessible is Barcelona. Like Spain seemed very very accessible, which was lovely. So, but you so you travel a lot. Uh yeah, I, especially in 2018, I was the president of um a nonprofit called Affirmation, which supported LGBTQ Mormons and former Mormons. So it's an international group, and so I traveled all over um as president of that. Love, <laughs> yeah. What was your so? What was that like with that organization? Like so, like what is your like what like so? Were what is your faith? Oh my gosh, my faith. <laughs> Oh man, I'm figuring that out. So I I, I don't know what, how to answer that. Because didn't the Mormon Church yeah. like just like kind of like make it a little bit cuter to be gay or something? Like didn't they just do something like where they're like <laughs> not as much of a nightmare as they used to be or something? <laughs> like first they said that you couldn't like like have your parents okay. and have your parents be gay, but then they're like, no no no, we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Okay. So this is how it goes. There was this policy that that people called colloquially the exclusion policy which made it so that um yeah children of like same-sex couples could not be baptized until they were 18 and they had to disavow their parents marriage and like all sorts of just terrible stuff uh, that policy was rescinded i think it was last year 
Um, yeah. So, so uh, for all intents and purposes, the situation is kind of the same for most LGBTQ Mormons, but like at least that policy is not in place. Small victories or something. Yeah, very. But small not. Victories. Yeah. <laughs> so, but basically, that organization that you were working with is all about like helping to like affirm and totally. and, and just like help to heal and. Yeah, it's supposed to be a safe space so that people can come in or out of whatever process they need to safely with the re- with the resources we need. So um, there's no push for anyone to stay in the church or leave the church or do anything. It is just for us to affirm your identity exactly as you are. Nothing's wrong with you. Um, and provide a lot of like leadership, conferences, suicide prevention training for our leaders, things like that. How much tension and anxiety does that cause an individual like coming up in the Mormon community and dealing with their LGBTQ-ness within the Mormon community. Yeah. I mean, an immeasurable amount. It's uh, Mormon doctrine is very gendered and very heterocentric, if that's a word I just made. Yeah. And um, yeah, so there's just not an, like, there's not a place explicitly for LGBTQ people in the doctrine. And so there's also such a focus on eternal families. Um. And there's a very particular path to having an eternal family, which is like marrying someone of the opposite sex in the temple. And there's just no space for, again, like gayness inside of that. At least when I say gayness, I mean, you know, having same-sex relationships and things like that. So, well. Yeah. 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 So, you know, when I was growing up, it was like, okay, do I want to be with someone that I love and really feel connected to? I was trying to date women. It was just like a no-go. Or do I want to like be with my family forever was how the question was posed for me. You know, it was like, do I want to lose my eternal family and like enjoy being with someone that I love or be alone the rest of my life? So you go to Chile for your Mormon <laughs> or for your mission, right? Yeah, that's right. So you go there and then you come home Yep. and you tell your family mm-hmm. in 2013. Yeah. Uh... Yep. Or 12. Yep, yep. No, you got it. Yeah, 13. So were they immediately cool with it or like, no? Well, it's like I came out and I was like, I'm gay and I'm going to stay a good Mormon. And so it was like a little more palatable. And then later on. Does that mean like I'm gay and I'm totes not going to act on it? Yeah, yeah. Celibate, not going to act on it. Maybe even marry a girl. Oh, is that is that like smiled upon? Um, like yay, did it? It's it's not. Sorry, it gave me the giggles. Um, no, it's not smiled upon anymore. It's it used to be pushed. It was like if you can just like get into it. It's so fucked up for the girl. Like fuck. Like God forbid she get fucked right for the rest of her life. Yeah, 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 yeah. There. I mean, like I have some like dear friends who are in some of those kinds of relationships, and they have like made it work in a particular way for them, but not for their pussy, honey. Um. Yeah. There's. It's very, very, very complex. See, that would piss me (laughs) off, honey. No, you better. No, I need my kid needs to be scratched. She is itchy, and she needs you to stick her dick in her. I totally hear you. I totally hear you. And um, in terms of, or but maybe they're asexual. I don't know. Like maybe neither I mean, of them want to have sex. May, may, I don't. Maybe, but probably not. <laughs> but maybe. Yeah, maybe, probably not. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, um, sexuality and is you know she's such a uh, wait no but so your family oh but let me rewind and just say that what i said about like people in that situation was by no means like an endorsement of that's what people should or could do no but you're just saying it happens i'm just saying it happens yeah yeah Yeah. and i was saying like they're poor kittens like you know they're vaginas (laughs) totally because we all want to have connected fun sex (laughs) yeah you know Mm -hmm. so but your family oh yeah yeah i didn't even answer your question so um okay so i was like gonna be a good mormon but i'm gay then I started to be like, I actually like want to be gay gay. And so yeah. then I came out to my parents and I was like, so I think I'm going to date boys and do this thing. And like, but I was still like being a very good boy. So I didn't like experiment a lot sexually or anything. Um, and then that started to get a little bit harder for them, especially like my mom, who was a little bit more, uh, she adhered to her faith a little bit more strictly than like my dad did. Um, but now, I mean, now we're in like a perfect place. Like there's no issue whatsoever. Like very much just like love, approve, love. Oh yeah. They love Ryan. They're like hundred percent on board. They're allies They're everything. So when it comes to dating and sex, I mean, honey, dating's hard. It is a whole thing. You know, people are people, Mm. which is a mixed bag on the best of days, you know? So it's like you're minding your own business Mm -hmm. and then... Like, Ryan comes along? <laughs> yeah. So, I was just, like, dating around. Oh, my gosh. I I had I had several years of just, like, experimenting. Because I thought that no one would ever want to be with... This is all my internalized ableism. I was like, now that I'm paralyzed, no one will want me. And so, I just, like, slowly started to like dip my toe in the water. Like I would put on a picture of myself, like not in a wheelchair, like just chest up uh-huh. on like Tinder or something. And then like introduce the wheelchair later, see how people responded, see if I got ghosted. Like I did this like social experiment. Were people just like fucking like just, cause then I kind of had to deal with that with HIV as well. Like sure. it's like, sure. you're like, okay. I mean, not like n- again, different, but yeah. it's like, it's like just the whole like, oh, and I'm positive. And then it's like crickets, Never to like it's like it's a thing. Yeah, it does. Like I mean, it like made, I had to get like a thick skin. R- yes, yeah, and there were certainly times where I experienced that, right? Like just like a lack of interest, or people just like didn't want to deal with what came with it because I mean, sex is not like the same as it used to be. So there's a lot of communication. There's a certain amount of vulnerability inherent in my sexual life right and so like when it came to like hookups there was certainly you know if someone just wanted something like i don't care i don't want to know your name i don't want to know who you are like this is like that was not for me but that probably like wasn't yeah i mean no i don't want that anyway yeah yeah Yeah. i mean i didn't want that anymore once i was a really busy girl for a really long time and then i was like (laughs) you know what i do want to know more now you know Yeah, yeah Yeah, that's a different story for a different day, you know, but so, so, but you were like, but, but because it's like so much of that, like, of you coming to terms with, you know, your sexuality and relationship to when you had, you know, the, how do your rebirth, is that how we refer to it? Oh my gosh, you, um, I think I just call it my injury. Your injury, got it. So, but like your, your time of coming out to having your injury, it's like, and the age, because you were like 23. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just like such a pivotal ass age. Yeah. Like even, like, I, I mean, have you had a book deal yet? I mean, we're ready to read the book. 
Like it's gonna be, it's like I need a screenplay. I need a book. I need all of it. I was like, you know. So, but anyway, so but in the dating world, and so like you were dating, and you were like, but you were just kind of experimenting for a couple of years. Yeah, experimenting a couple of years, like trying to figure out how my body worked, trying to feel like do all the different things to kind of be like, how does sex work? How am I gonna, you know, experience pleasure and orgasm and um, all those things, which I'm happy to talk about. But then, you know. After several years of that, like Ryan was skiing in Park City and we like matched on Tinder and he, anyway. Yeah, I love whole that. Story. Yeah. We were, we did long distance as friends for like six months before we even met in But you person. matched on Tinder? We matched on Tinder. And, and he, then you did a long distance as friends. Okay, listen, we matched on Tinder and didn't meet and he flew back to Utah never having met me. And we texted and we FaceTimed for like six months. I was kind of in a relationship. He was in a relationship. <sighs> Slut. No, so you were literally two-timing your fucking uh, other boyfriend. Listen, listen, listen. I was supporting him. We didn't talk like all the time, right? It wasn't like we were like best friends. It was just like occasionally. But why did the other one not work out? Was like the first guy a fucking scoundrel or something? No. I just kind of didn't I, work out. Like just for both of you, just like didn't work out. No, we we became like single at different times, you know. And it but was like I'm saying, I was, it was like you were in a relation, you're like bye, and then he was in a relation, then they were like bye, and then you both were like, oh my gosh, like now we're not in relations. Um, well, it didn't like happen intentionally that way. Like he was doing his thing. I was doing my thing. I ended up finally seeing him when I was in New York visiting another friend. And ah. I was like, hey, I'm actually in New York now. I'd love to finally meet you. Right. And so I, mean, was, I was like in Utah and he was in New York. So it was like I was not flying out to like meet some guy that I, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're here with a friend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I'm trying trouble. to make like, my case that I was not two timing anyone. <laughs> no, no, no. You were two timing, but it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like uh. so you meet him. Oh, yeah. So I meet him and he's just so easy to be with. And it was like so much fun. And I mean, the thing that the reason I kept talking to him, even though we hadn't met, is he was so funny. Uh. He was so funny but also like so cute and compassionate and like ryan was newly out of the closet and so he was kind of like navigating a lot of things and that's also why we were in contact some is like i was kind of supporting part of this journey for him and talking with his family and kind of coming out still um and he would i could just tell like the level of care that he had for me in terms of just like so perceptive so like uh, anticipating what I needed before I needed it. Um, and then just being very, just like the sweetest golden hearted guy. Love that. Yeah. And yeah. then you're just like, oh, I want to like cuddle every morning. And then you like moved to New York. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was so funny. Actually, we went to Barcelona before we even went on another date. Like I was going to take my mom with me to Barcelona because I had a speaking gig. And I was like, like, girl, bye. I was like, uh, that's a buddy. <laughs> no, my mom was like, no, I can't go. And so I was oh. like, Ryan, like, um, I know this is totally weird. We spent two days together, but like want to go to Barcelona. And he's like, yeah. And so we explored Barcelona for like 10 days. And after that's such I a spoke and... Try not falling in love with someone after like exploring Barcelona for 10 days. I mean, oh, I've never been right. there, but, but it was really romantic. It's, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. So, and then I we did that. long distance forever, and then here we are. So, I mean, really, it sounds like um, we're feeling fulfilled. We're feeling gorgeous. <laughs> we're thriving. And so I saw this one thing on Instagram, and it, like, and this woman was like, like, because when it was like, like what not to do with like, and it, you actually post about this on Instagram too. It's like, like not giving like unsolicited, like pushing and shit. Like, oh, it's like, it's yeah. like, don't fucking push my goddamn wheelchair unless I ask you for it. Like if I need help, I'll ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of like a given, I think. 
Uh, really? Yeah. I feel like I could see well-meaning people like fucking up on that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, when I when I say it's a given, I think it's given. Like I think most disabled people would agree with that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like let us ask you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's a good rule. Yeah. That's just like I was just trying to like make sure I'm like checking off like all the things. <laughs> no, that you're doing so about. great. Yeah. Yeah. The best thing is to to ask. Um. You know. We have to wrap up soon because I think they have like another person coming. But I just have like one more question because I think you were talking about. Like when you were talking about like sex stuff, I, I think I was about reading sex. about this one thing about like, like much, like something about like a long time, like much like feeling of like like feeling really good for a really long time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So like orgasm is so different for me now. So, um, spinal cord injury has come with like a few little gifts that are just like phenomenal, and one of them is that um. Under the right conditions, I can experience orgasm for a very prolonged period of time. Um, I have not met the like the threshold uh, where that where it ends because I like will just like give up or feel like it's so too is much. That I basically, have to... like you're like about like you just feel like you're like ah, and then you're, like, you can do that for like ten hours. I mean, it's or it could be like different. Like you could be like ah. No, no, no. It's definitely like more like the first one. Yeah, it's it's so much that it can be a little intense, and it can kind of be like I sometimes need like a tiny break, or sometimes I just like uh, yeah. It, it's so much that it's very intense, and I can't just like be there forever, uh, which is like a good problem to have, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Love it's that. Incredible. It's incredible. I, I often think that it is um, given how long it lasts and, and the intensity and the euphoria and, and that whole thing, that it is probably better in terms like the orgasm is better than it was before, probably. Ah, Weird, huh? I love that. I know. So really, if I was going to like wrap this into like a, a gorgeous bow, it's kind of like don't ever or just like don't think about like what like every every life is full and like and is worthy of like celebrating and and finding value and worth and it's like kind of just like i mean it's so basically just like don't judge like someone else's like form or like what their experience is because like it's like if the question is like what is ableism it's like and you were saying you know before your accident and you or your injury and you had saw that guy like you know on uh, crutches and you were like oh that must be so hard and like whatever it's like really just like don't judge anyone else's like experience like based off of like how they look because like you just it's really like no one needs to be like looked at and like judged or like oh it must be so hard it's like bitch you have no idea yeah I tell people I'm like well I think sometimes in my head I'm like I'm like girl my life is better than yours like I love my <laughs> life when people are like oh is it like you know I could never do what you're doing I'm like no really I, I love my life um yeah, okay, so, like, wrapping it up in a bow, I think, is to say, like, in the world of disability, it's really helpful to just check that, like, check that assumption. Like, am I assuming that this body is broken or something's wrong with it, you know? And, like, just kind of going back to the spectrum, like, just... And we've done this in a lot of different areas. Obviously, we've done it... I use the, the you know, sexuality example because I'm gay and I have experience there, but it's, like you know, straight was like the uh, default, right? Like normal. And then homosexuality was like a variation of that or other forms of queerness. And we're getting into a space where we're realizing like, no, this is all on a spectrum. There's nothing wrong with any of it. There's just deviations of, you know, 
sexuality. And so looking at bodies in the same way, like every body is worthy. Every uh, form, every it's, it's all worthy. It's all valuable. It all works differently and it's all beautiful. Wow, mic drop. That was so gorgeous. <gasps> You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Carson Tuller. You'll find links to his work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Vosick. Getting Curious is produced by me, Julie Carrillo, Ray Ellis, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson.